start with the set aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your spiritual truth. Heavenly Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. Help me to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we covered uh, on Wednesday night the paragraph on step eight. We talked about faith without works is dead, and I forgot to put the microphone up here, so uh, if you heard noise, don't get mad at me from the podcast. I'm old. I'm lucky I turned it on. Uh, 76. We're on page 76, and we talked about faith without work is dead and how we know that we need to make amends and are we willing to make all amends and we've done a drastic self-appraisal in steps one through seven and we're going out to repair the damage we've done in the past. Why? because I want to sweep away the debris that's accumulated in my mind and my life, uh, living on self-will and running the show. And uh, it says, if I don't have the will to do this, ask until it comes. It's very important to do step eight. It's very important to do one through five, six and seven you do all your life, but to know how you harm people and to know how you need to make amends. just because you didn't like somebody doesn't mean you have to go up to them and say, I'm sorry I hated you for 20 years. Uh, I don't know if that's going to repair the relationship. But you have to see whether you can make, have to make living amends or direct amends. You don't want to harm people. And you have to be willing. And the willingness to each person, you lose fear of them. Because you're not afraid for them to walk through the door if they did, somebody from 50 years ago, and you can go up to them and say, you know, I'm sorry I did this. And you're free. You're free of the shame and guilt of that. And you've forgiven them if, they, if you needed to. And you've forgiven everyone, and you're willing to make amends to everyone. That's freedom. And I, I like to think today that I'm willing to do that to anybody who walks through the door. And it says, uh, uh, remember, I agreed to go to any lengths for victory over alcohol, which is really victory over myself, my self-centeredness, bondage to myself, what I wanted, what I needed. And any lengths means any lengths. And I see a lot of people who want victory over it, but they're not willing to go to any lengths. They're... uh, They just don't want to do this. They don't want to read the book. They don't want to do the instructions. But that's fine. As long as you're there, you never know when that'll change. You never know when when that'll change. And Corey's an example of you never stop having your hand out. You continue to love everybody. We're no better than the people who can't stay sober. That's another thing that bothers me in AA. We like to talk about people who's drinking again. Well, alcoholics drink. That's what we do. We're alcoholics. And, and, and there but for the grace of God go I. And we're no better than them and they're no worse than us. We're just lucky that we've been given the gift to see the truth about my situation and the willingness to do this. And I had the desperation of a dying, man, dying, dying, 
dry, a dying man when I came in, and I still like to think I have that desperation today. That's important. I don't want to live and be disturbed today. Anybody else like that? I don't want to have conflict in relationships, and I certainly want to have peace with God. And I, all I really wanted my whole life was to be okay. Now, I used the world to make me okay. It didn't work. And I'm okay today just being with God, just being the person he wants me to be. And we're going to read in this next paragraph, if I ever shut up, about uh, how we can do that. So it says, probably there are some misgivings. We always have misgivings because, you know, I had misgivings about everything when I came in, but I was so beaten down that they didn't matter. I was willing to do whatever anybody told me to do. And there are people, uh, there may be some people that, I don't know if anybody's in the room here that was there when I first came in. Um, as we look over the list of business acquaintances and friends we have hurt, and also they're gonna talk about family members and relationships, we may feel diffident, modest or shy because of lack of confidence about going to some of them on a spiritual basis. Let us be reassured. So you're not gonna become a preacher and a minister when you go to make amends. You get it? You go with humility. Let us be reassured that some people we need not and probably should not emphasize the spiritual feature on our first approach. We might prejudice them. Uh, some people don't like it when I say the name of my Lord in AA. I, I don't care. It's, if they don't like it, that's fine. They don't have to listen to me and they don't have to come here. That's fine. Because I'm not saying what they need to do. But I might prejudice, prejudice them. But if you're dealing with alcoholics, you can prejudice them over anything. You never know. What's prejudice? Prejudgment. And remember, it's my prejudgment, my old ideas that killed me. And remember, it says contempt prior to investigation at the end. And so honesty, open-minded, and willingness to do whatever it takes. And I want to be let go of my old ideas, which is my prejudice. And it says at the moment, at the moment, and we're on step eight and nine, and this is true for me today. I'm trying to put my life in order. Anybody think that's a good idea when you came in here? Anybody think it's a good idea today? Now here's the thing, and I talked about this with Faith Without Works is Dead. If we don't keep doing the work, our lives get out of order. And if my life, even with these celebrating my birthday, if I don't do the work, my life will get out of order. And before I know it, I'm in the liquor store. It could just happen. And so I have to keep my life in order, but in the beginning, we're on page 77, we're trying to put our life in order with steps one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven, and eight, and nine. Now, how do you do that? You put your life in order with God in steps one, two, three. You decide that God is God and you're not. And I want him to be the director of my life, not me. Anybody think that's a good idea? And why? Because I'm not God. Now, it took me a while in AA to read that and understand that it didn't work because I'm not God. It's never going to work. And I want God to be my director. Now, here's the problem with that. I could say that all day long, but I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to let God be my director. 
Well, four, five, and six, and seven is how I, is I, uh, uh, is I change the way I see things through those steps so that God can direct my life. And I look at my thinking in four, five, six, and seven based on self and how I need to allow God to remove that so that my thinking can be aligned with him. Anybody think that's a good idea? Yes. If I'm disturbed today, it'll be because at that moment, my thinking's aligned with Michael and not with God. It's not complicated. No matter what they're doing, I can't blame them. It's me. My thinking's out of line. So I put my life in order with God and my thinking in one through seven. And eight and nine is how I put my life in order with the world and the people in the world. And I lose fear of people. Isn't that great? You know, I'm not afraid to go to High V after the here and see somebody there. Now, when I came in, I was afraid of seeing everybody. In fact, uh, I didn't answer the phone. I was so scared when I first came in and before. Right? It's always going to be bad, right? And I fear, but I'm not living in the fear anymore. It says, but here's the key. That's not an end in itself, just putting my life in order with God, my thinking, and the world. Here's our real purpose in AA, and you don't hear this as the topic of many meetings. My real purpose is to fit myself to be of maximum service to God and the people around us. So I have to fit myself to be of maximal service to God and the people about us. That's the key. Because if I'm fit to be of maximal service to God and the people around me, I'm not going to drink, and I'm going to stay pretty close to him and have peace and have functioning good relationships with others. It's a design for living that works. Fit myself of maximum service to God and the people about us. Now, how do you do that? You do these steps right out of this book. And, and if you don't, I don't know what the result. I can't say that you, it won't work for you. I don't know. But nothing else worked for me. And so I, that's why I believe in this. That's why I teach this. That's why when Curtis died, God said to me, teach the instructions in the big book, Michael, so that somebody might do it and they won't have to die in their car at four in the morning. I don't know if that's happened, but it's helped me. I'm not, I haven't died yet in my car. I'm still okay. And so I want to fit myself. And remember, we're going to read on page 85 that we, if we're in fit spiritual condition, we're not in conflict with everybody and everything. Isn't that a good promise? We're in a position of neutrality towards alcohol, safe and protected by God. And our lives, the way we react is different. And it's seldom, it says it's seldom wise to approach an individual who still smarts from our injustice to him, an unjust act or occurrence. That's how we harmed him. We did an unjust act to them and announced that I've gone religious. I don't know that that helps. It's, that's really not part of the amends, my spiritual uh, relationship with God. The amends is how can I make this right with God's help? There's a difference. And announced that in the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. Now, some people may want to know what happened to me and how I got to be where I was. 
and then I could tell them. In the prize ring, this would be called leading with the chin. We lay ourselves open to be branded fanatics or religious bores. Remember uh, Bill W. in his story talked about for six months, he preached to these people. He would go to the hospital and find people are dying of alcoholism. He didn't have any book, no steps. He had the Oxford group and the six steps of the Oxford group. And, and he had Dr. Bob in Akron. He was in New York in 1935. And he couldn't get anybody sober, but the doctor and his wife said, you're sober, Bill. Trying to help them has kept you sober. And then the doctor said, Bill, you got to stop preaching to these poor guys. Don't preach about your spiritual experience. Tell them what you were like, how bad it was, and then how, what happened to you and what you're like now. Because preaching them won't do any good, but if you say, you know, this is how I used to drink or use, and this is what happened to me, and blah, 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 and then I gave up, like Corey was describing, and, and God started working in my life, I'm doing this, and look, and they see you. See, we're the message. We're supposed to carry the message to those who are suffering, right? And the message is me. You are the message. So you want to be a good message. And you can't be the message if you haven't done this and you're not continuing to do it. Doesn't mean you're perfect. But it means you, ha and remember it says on Brian's favorite page, you can't give away what you don't have. And so, and then you have to keep doing it to have something to give away. Uh, we kill a future opportunity to carry a beneficial message, but our man is sure to be impressed with a sincere desire to set right the wrong. This is not really asking forgiveness. You may want it. That may be a mistake because then you make them your higher power. You just want to set your side of the street okay. I had somebody who kept trying to make amends to his ex-wife all the time. And after the meeting, I said, you know, Jim, you only pay the, the phone bill once. And, and when you keep trying to do that, you make them your higher power and they don't want to forgive you because then they keep power. So it's not about getting forgiveness or approval from them. It's about setting it right. That's why you don't do this your first day out of treatment. You wait till you have a sponsor, you go through all the resentments, how you harm people and how you can set it right. And you have to have a desire, sincere desire to set the wrong right. He's going to be more interested in a demonstration of goodwill than our talk of spiritual discoveries. So we want to see what your feet are doing, not what you're saying. What are your actions? How, what are you doing? If you owe somebody money and you say, I found the Lord and I'm doing great and I'm sober, that won't help them. They want to know how you're going to repay the money. You get it? If you start repaying the money, then they might want to know how you got to that place where you're now repaying them the money, when you wouldn't do anything like that before. We don't use this as an excuse for shying away from the subject of God. And here's the key when it will serve any good purpose. We are willing to announce our convictions. So ask yourself, what are your convictions? 
and, and, and they may change over time with tact and common sense. The question of how to approach the man we hated will arise. Now there's a key word here, hate did. It's past tense. You can't make amends to somebody you still hate. You can't go to someone and be loving if you still hate them. So how do you stop hating someone? That's what the fourth step is all about, resentment. And how we say the four prayers. And we, we change the way we see them and we forgive them and we stop hating them. You can't, you can't finish your fourth step and do column four, what was your mistake, till you stop hating the person. Because you can't see the truth. And so if I hate someone today, I'm blocked from God. How long do I still want to, quote, hate somebody? It could be dislike or irritate. If you don't know what that is, go to a meet, enough meetings and you'll begin to get irritated by somebody if you're an alcoholic. And you don't want to hate anybody, but you can change your negative feeling quickly with the tools in the fourth step. So you can go from dislike or hate to, okay, they are who they are. And, and it could take as little as 10 seconds, maybe even less. I used to have to say the four prayers and, or I'd wait to say them. Now I don't even want to say the four prayers. It takes too long. I just want to say they are who they are. It is what it is. God changed the way I see it. How long does that take? Eight seconds, maybe. We'll time it next time. But it's true. That's what I've learned. And it says, it may be he has done more harm than we have done him. That's true. But remember, we're setting our side of the street clean. It doesn't matter what they did. We have to clear away the debris if, from me. And I won't be free of shame and guilt until I do that. And then we may have acquired a better attitude towards him. We're still not too keen about admitting our faults. But we have to. Nevertheless, with the person we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. I think that's a horse. Horses have a bit. Okay. And God's going to be riding my horse. Put the bit in. I don't know if that makes sense. I just thought of that. Uh, if it didn't, forgive me. Uh, we take the bit in our teeth. It's hard to go to an enemy than to a friend. But you really don't want to have too many enemies. Now, Joe and Charlie make the point that when you do your amends, you have three categories. Now, later, and never. There are people you want to make amends to now, usually, you know, your kids, your wife, your parents, and you want to do it right away. One, they love you, maybe, still love you. And, but they have, they have that, that unconditional love for you, and that will go well. Later is those you're not real happy about going to them, but you, you will and you're gonna find the right time. And then people have the never. Now what you find is you're doing this and you're working the steps. The laters become now and the nevers become later and then the laters become now. Because you're changing. So that may help. But we find it more beneficial to us. We go to him in a helpful and forgiving spirit. Wow. It says in the fourth step, if we're upset with somebody and there's resentment, that they're just spiritually ill like me, right? And I say, Lord, how can I practice love, patience, and tolerance for this person? And how can I be helpful to them? I want to be helpful to them. 
love your neighbor as yourself, helpful and forgiving spirit. If you don't have a forgiving spirit, nothing good's going to come out of it. Now, how do you get a forgiving spirit? You do the work in step four and God, God gives you a forgiving spirit. And when you have a forgiving spirit towards someone, that's a major change. I used to judge everybody and I, I think I disliked a lot of people. You know, anybody else like that when they came in? I had a long list. In fact, I was so sure that if I told you all about it, you would agree that my drinking was necessary <laughs> because of these people. And that they really, they really need to be, some of them executed, but uh, that's pretty silly, but I thought it's funny. Uh, helpful and forgiving spirit. And we can confess our former ill feeling and I, I think our actions and express our regret on what we did. So these are people that you had really negative relationships with. And you want to go with a forgiving and helpful spirit. You can confess your ill feeling and what that caused in your actions and how you have a new way of looking at them and you love them. And remember, the only thing lacking in any situation is the love I bring into it. I heard somebody say that, and I really believe that. If I go into a situation with uh, intolerance or judgment, or resentment, nothing good happens. And if I go into it with love, I don't know how that'll change them, but it goes better. And if it's, and you just stay close to God. I've had people that had to go into bad situations in recovery. I say, take your coin, hold your coin while you're talking to him, and that's God with you. And bring God into it and it'll be okay whatever happens. Under no condition do we criticize such a person or argue. You get it? It says on step uh, four with resentments we avoid retaliation or argument. It's not going to do any good. Have you ever tried to change somebody who has a resentment? It's not going to happen. And, and then if we retaliate then we have to make more amends. And we have more guilt. Simply we tell them that we will ne never get over drinking, and this is true for everybody in the room, or our addiction to our self-centeredness, until I've done my utmost to straighten out the past. Utmost. There it is again. We are there to sweep off our side of the street. I'm not worried about their side. I want to clean my side of the street that's how I get rid of shame and guilt. That's how I get closer to God. That's how I make him the manager of my life, realizing that nothing worthwhile can be accomplished until we do so. It's not, we're not gonna be able to go further if we keep holding on to resentments and anger and we're not willing to make amends. Never trying to tell him what he should do. His faults are not discussed, we stick to our own. Remember, it's our amends it's our, our, our repairing the damage. If our mind is calm, frank, and open, we'd be gratified with the result. In nine ca cases out of 10, the unexpected happens. Sometimes the man we are calling upon admits his own fault. That's happened. So feuds of years standing away melt in an hour. Rarely do we fail to make satisfactory progress. 
Our former enemies sometimes praise what we are doing and wish us well. Occasionally they will offer assistance. It should not matter, however, if someone does throw us out of his office. We have made our demonstration, here's the key, done our part, it's water over the dam. Now I'm gonna end there, I'm just gonna tell two things. One, um, I went to a meeting in Chicago. It was a cancer meeting with doctors. And um, I got in a little bit towards the end when it, they're just ready to start. There was one spot and I sat down and there was the guy seated next to me who had gotten me removed because of my disease from working with him. And the look on his face was, oh, oh. He gave me a weird look, like, and I said, Dave. And I hugged him. I said, because Dave, if you hadn't done what you did, I wouldn't be here today. And I love you, thank you. And his whole, and I meant it. And, and I didn't know he was gonna be there, but I'd worked the steps and he had been on my list and I was willing and it was great, it was special. And then we talked about the kids and this and that. And, and then uh, we had lunch together. Who would have thought? And then um, the other one was when my son died, uh, my ex-wife who has, God bless her, serious mental issues. And she can't help it. And, I was really concerned about how she would act during this whole thing and if she got up to talk. And, and um, we were with, Curtis was in the, in the coffin and uh, Julie, my daughter, and my ex-wife were there and we were, uh, had a visitation. And I said to her, you know, I said, if there's anything I could have done to be a better husband, I wish I had. I'm really sorry. And that I said, let's make Kurt is proud of us tonight. And then we all kind of cried and hugged each other. And she, when she talked, she, she was pretty good for her. She can go off the deep end, she can't help it. But I felt good. It was a really positive thing. I can't explain it, we all cried. So uh, with that, we'll end it and we'll pick up there. Don't let me review next week, okay? We'll pick it up on Wednesday, thank you.